Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. I am, I am currently working on a longer episode since I found a, an amazing booklet in uh, the Russian Ministry of Defense's informational site. It's called Live, Fight, Win, which, can, which contains both practical and ideological advice for the Russian soldier participating in the special military operation in Ukraine. The problem is it, um, it's a bit long. It's 64 pages of condensed nonsense. And, well, when I say nonsense, I really mean it. It, it has a lot of things where I, um, you know, I have to actually think and ponder a bit and uh, look some words up in a dictionary in thesaurus to even translate them a bit more correctly because a lot of things have double meaning that episode is uh, taking a bit more time but it's going to be a long one and it's going to be sent on it that's going to be the long form one so i've been busy with that but uh, you know as that is still going to take a day or two i can't leave you without an episode so here we go with another news update first of all i'd like to talk about an event that um kind of shows what's to come in Russia and, you know, confirms my theories about the potential potential system of events that's going to happen soon. See, in Kostroma, a city in Russia, a fire occurred in the Polygon nightclub in the early morning hours of November the 5th. The whole thing was reported to emergency services at 2.37 a.m., there were hundreds of people in the club at the time. 250 people were evacuated from the nightclub building as well as 15 residents of a neighboring, neighboring home due to heavy smoke. It took five hours, 50 emergency responders and 20 pieces of equipment to extinguish the fire, which consumed a 3,500 uh, 3, square meter over 37,000 square feet large area. The nightclub, nightclub's roof collapsed over the entire affected area. Official reports state that 13 people were killed in the fire. Shortly after the fire was extinguished, headquarters of the rescue operation reported 15 dead, but that information is unconfirmed. According to the publication MASH, around 60 people were in the emergency room. Four people are in a coma following the incident. Another source, Baza, writes that the club had only three functional emergency exits. Four others were locked. Firefighters had to break down the doors to allow people to exit. Baza also notes, citing witnesses, that a 40-year-old club patron, Andrei Kuzmin, knocked down one of the doors, allowing people to evacuate and allowing a larger number of victims. But here's the reason why this is important. 
See, two people have been arrested in connection with the fire. A 23-year-old man who allegedly used pyrotechnic equipment which ignited the fire. He was charged with causing death by negligence. The man has not been officially identified, but according to Baza, his name is Stanislav Inyonkin. He returned from fighting in Ukraine where he was wounded in August and arrived in Kostroma for a medical examination. The second person arrested is the director of the company Imperia, which runs the club. She is suspected of providing services that do not meet safety requirements. See, Ria Novosti reported that the fire may have been caused by a club patron using a flare gun inside the club, perhaps in self-defense in a dispute. Thus wrote that a mass brawl among clubgoers preceded the fire. Baza reported that someone set up fireworks near the dance floor in honor of a patron's birthday. And that's, that's the thing. Like I told you, people coming back from the war, they're used to... They're used to dying and fighting and all that stuff, and this is what happened in the 90s with the Chechen Wars, and this is going to happen again, and they're going to get organized. War doesn't stop when the bullets, you know, stop firing. And uh, I'm pretty sure we'll see more of these incidents all the time, like constantly. And at the same time, you know, the reason why the daily news about the situation in the front have been, like, lessening is the fact that, uh, well, I believe the war in Ukraine has moved into yet another new phase. See, both armies are struggling in the autumn mud. Each side is covertly preparing for serious action in the winter, when the, when the ground freezes. These preparations are not limited to mobilization, training new conscripts, and creating new military units, because without an air advantage on the either side, the war threatens to devolve into a stalemate. And this is the fact because there have been a lot of rumors, because NATO understands this, and... I have heard a lot of rumors about actually finally, you know, closing the sky over Ukraine by NATO. However, again, these are unconfirmed rumors, and uh, I don't like to put them in my in the show. If I could release the show past five days, then everything in the show would consist only of unconfirmed rumors, which is kind of silly because I like to have some substance to my episodes. See, in pursuit of that kind of advantage, of this air advantage, both, both sides, and Russia particularly, are trying to overwhelm the enemy's air defense systems, forcing them to waste ammunition and trying to destroy as many aircraft and air defense units as possible. This is probably why Moscow is bombing Ukrainian critical infrastructure, including power plants and substations, which the Ukrainian Air Force simply cannot fail to protect with all available means. The West also has responded to the change in Russian tactics by stepping up supplies of air defense equipment. The outcomes of the coming winter and spring campaigns will largely depend on which, which of the sides will ultimately gain this coveted air advantage. So, you know, this is why the rumors of closing the skies. Another thing is, of course, investigating about how mobilization has affected the combat situation. For the Russian army, the mobilization clearly masks a new phase in the war. Until now, it largely, largely made due with the potential accumulated prior to the invasion. Although there aren't any precise open-source figures, it can be assumed that the replenishments of uh, <clears throat> volunteers that go to the front before the September could not have compensated the Russian army's losses. By fall, the depletion of pre-war ground forces led Russia to a heavy defeat in the east of the Kharkiv region, and another local defeat in the Kherson area. This had finally forced the Kremlin to call for mobilization. But increasing the sheer number of Russian troops in Ukraine even the manifold increase afforded by 300,000 new troops, which is their official number, is not enough to guarantee any cardinal change in the disposition of forces. There are three factors to consider. And if this sounds official, then yeah, uh, this is what, uh, well, my military experts have, have sent me. 
this, by the way, is an interesting segue because, yeah, you know, uh, a lot of your Patreon money goes off to paying these people in Russia and Ukraine and everyone to send me sources. They're not doing this for free. Some are, but uh, there are people that I must pay for. So, you know, if you consider supporting the show, please, thanks to all the patrons, and consider becoming our patron on patreon.com slash the eastern border, or, you know, go to our webpage, theeasternborder.lv, and where you can listen to the show without ads, and please click the donate button. We've, uh, well, invested in equipment. We have a GoPro now, which I'm going to use when I'm going to, when I go to Ukraine next time so that there are better pictures on the internet, and uh, need to upgrade my microphone, finally get everything in order. They've been refixed too many times. A lot of things, and this is one of the expenses. So not, 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 not a rich person, just trying to do everything for the show. If you could, please do support us. And now, yeah, back to the things that the military experts actually told me. First of all, new conscripts do not turn immediately into combat-ready formations. This takes extra work and time. Secondly, new units need to be armed, equipped, and, uni- and, um, and inf- uniformed. Sorry, there. Russia has problems here as well. There is an obvious shortage of personal protective equipment, medical kits, and even up-to-date arms for all the mobilized conscripts. Supplying enough collective armaments, combat vehicles, and even experienced officers, in case of a larger, no- large number of new formations suddenly created, may all present further problems. Unrequipped brigades and divisions are certain to stay inoperable for quite some time. And third, Ukraine too is continuing to mobilize people. Despite the fact that it had already drafted around a million troops as of late summer, its human reserves are far from depleted. And that I saw myself. They didn't, uh, they didn't really intensify the whole grabbing of uh, five people who could fight that easily last time that I was in Kiev. Kiev was very much alive and a lot of men were walking on the streets. Just because at that time they didn't have the equipment in which to put on the soldiers and a lot of them had undergone training already. Ukraine has already mastered the method of forming new combat ready units out of yesterday's civilians. At the start of its mobilization, faced with problems similar to Russia's, Ukraine opted not to create dozens of new brigades out of hundreds of thousands of new conscripts. Instead, its command increased the number of battalions within existing brigades, for example by creating light infantry battalions moving around in civilian vehicles. Kyiv has also deployed territorial defense brigades, not as independent combat units, but as donors for the regular army brigades. In theory, the Russian defense ministry could try to replicate this approach. Russian formations were understaffed before the war and suffered losses during it. As of today, many of them cannot be considered combat ready. The flow of weapon supplies to Ukraine from the West is unlikely to dry up. United States and NATO leaders have stated repeatedly that they will do everything to ensure that Ukraine does not lose the war, and so far they have kept their promise. As a result, the armed forces of Ukraine will probably maintain its numerical advantage in the winter and spring, though perhaps not as overwhelmingly as in the fall. Ukraine is also likely to lead in the number of combat-ready formations. In places, Russian forces will have a firepower advantage, while at a disadvantage in sheer number of precision-guided weapons, as well as in situational awareness. If there is one thing that this fall has made clear, it's that firepower alone is not enough for covering the entire front. Given these factors, the Russian command, now headed, remind you, by General Sergei Surovikin, the, ge- the General Armageddon, seems to have understood that Russia will not, dis- will not win this war without disrupting the Ukrainian weapons supply. Now, Moscow obviously doesn't have enough forces to conduct an offensive that would cut off Ukraine from the West. The, Ukrainians, uh, uh, the Ukrainian command anticipated that such an offensive might proceed from Belarusian territory, mind you. 
nor can supply be disrupted by missile strikes. Long-range missiles can only be used against stationary targets. Meanwhile, the particular missiles used by Russia lack the accuracy and warhead power that would be needed to destroy bridges over the Dnieper, which link the eastern and western parts of Ukraine. To stop transports by railroad trains and military convoys, Russia needs aircraft and drones capable of both independent reconnaissance and immediate attack on identified targets. But the Russian command doesn't want to use aviation deep inside Ukraine, reasonably fearing that this would lead to high casualties. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In the first 10 days of the war, the Russian aerospace forces tried to strike deep into the Ukrainian defense and suffered heavy losses from Ukrainian air defense fire. Since then, Russia has mainly used aviation to support infantry. That support has not been the most effective. Low-altitude strikes, usually with unguided missiles and from longer distances, do help the Russian aviation avoid being hit by portable anti-aircraft missiles. Still, this approach rules out the possibility of air reconnaissance and immediate attack. The bottom line is that the, uh, Air For- the Air Force of Ukraine is presently receiving uninterrupted arms supplies from the West. It also doesn't have to worry about airstrikes when sending reinforcements to the front. This has enabled Ukraine to deflect the Russian offensives and to conduct many of its own. Now, if Russia is doing so poorly, why isn't Ukraine advancing faster? Which is like what everyone wants to know. For- firstly, Ukraine's advancement partly has been hampered by the fall weather. In the past weeks, Kharkiv, Donetsk and Luhansk areas have all seen heavy rains. This affects road conditions and makes the terrain harder to traverse. Of course, weather has been better in the Kherson region, but the AFU has still made no progress there in a month. It's possible that the arrival of Russian reserves at the front, including the first units comprised of new conscripts, is also beginning to make a difference. Still, judging by the available videos of failed Ukrainian attacks, the, uh, the, the, the AFU's main problem is the Russian artillery advantage. In August and September, the Ukrainian army was able to disrupt the Russian artillery supply by attacking dozens of munitions depots in the nearest Russian rear with the HIMARS rockets. In recent weeks, though, there have been fewer successful attacks. At the very least, there are hardly any new videos of buildings exploding from secondary shell detonation. The Russian command must have been able to distribute its ammunition storage, making the depots more difficult to find and destroy. At the same time, there are dozens of videos showing Ukrainian advancing units being thwarted by artillery fire. Many of those videos are from the right bank of the Kherson region, the main goal of the Ukrainian counteroffensive. What gets in the way of, uh, of the Ukrainian disruption of the Russian weapons supply is Russian air defense. Though it's not at all effect- that effective, it still manages to down Ukrainian reconnaissance drones and missiles. This is why Ukraine doesn't use planes, helicopters or Bayraktar attack-, uh, attack drones against the Russian artillery. Even though in 2020, Bayraktar dro- drones had been very effective against Armenian artillery in Nagorno-Karabakh. Now, the sides are, of course, trying to shift this whole balance. 
Beginning on October the 10th, two days following the Crimean Ridge explosion, the Russian command launched a strategic bombardment campaign targeting the Ukrainian power plants and substations with cruise missiles and Iranian suicide drones. Later, it became clear that this campaign had been planned long in advance of the incidents on the bridge, which also became clear, really. So, uh, my mistake about the spontaneity, but I do believe that some of this could have been spontaneous, since they are actually striking it, you know, a bit more closer. See, uh, I do admit my mistakes, and I'm really sorry about them, which is why, you know, a lot of people complain that I don't make episodes immediately after events happening, but when I do... Then these things happen, and I don't like them. I like to be a reliable source more than, you know, doing things that are just there for the clicks. Yeah. Sorry. Really. My error. And uh, the targets were chosen of these strikes in such a way as to force the Ukrainians to concentrate air defense and aviation on protecting them. Until then, the Ukrainian air defense relied on ambush tactics, which allowed it to counter Russian aviation while keeping its own losses down. This is done by only enabling the radars, which unmasks the air defense equipment, at the moment of a Russian plane's passing, probably following an intelligence alert. Ukrainian aviation also tried to avoid losses. Until recently, it was mainly used to support ground forces and at low altitudes. With the beginning of a massive missile and airstrikes, the AFU was forced to revise its tactics. Air defense had to enable the radars. Aviation began to intercept cruise missiles and drones. As a result, both of them became accessible targets from the Russian standpoint. Consequently, during cruise missile salvos and drone sorties, Russian Air Force fighters with long-range air-to-air missiles, which have been rarely used before, lift into the air. And Lancet and KUB drones are deployed en masse against Ukrainian air defense positions. Videos of drone attacks on Ukrainian radars and SAM launchers have emerged. In the very first days of massive strikes, the AFU lost three fighters in the Poltava region, one, according to official Ukrainian data, due to the nearby explosion of an Iranian Shahid-136 drone used by the Russian side. In addition, the need to intercept dozens of drones and cruise missiles forces the Ukrainian military to waste its already scarce Soviet-made air defense ammunition. As a result, and let me reiterate this because this is important, Ukraine needs the West, West's urgent assistance with air defense system supply. NATO did promise Ukraine systemic assistance in creating a new echelon air defense system. Still, actual deliveries may have to clear some obstacles. NATO countries traditionally consider the Air Force to be the basis of their air defense system. So far, NATO has declined to supply Ukraine with aircraft. And this reminds me, because in the beginning of the war, the United States said, oh no, we can't supply you with the fighter planes because it'll take four months to, you know, train the troops. It'll be too late. It's been nine months now into the war, and uh, that was a mistake. Missile systems are scarce, and it's been decided not to deliver the Patriot surface-to-air system to Ukraine. Other systems will come from different countries piecemeal, according to their means. Like, Latvia has sent so much of our budget there. Per capita, I think we're among the leaders. But we just don't have more to send. We would. Which makes me sad. Some of the systems have yet to even be produced. Obsolete ones, such as the Patriot, Patriot's predecessor, the Hawk, might be reactivated, and this is the solution that a lot of analysts, and me included, have been calling for. The AFU are also beginning to change their tactics. Towards the end of last summer, they received American long-range airborne anti-radar HARM missiles, adapting them for launch from Ukraine's Su-27 and MiG-29 aircraft. 
The missiles were used simultaneously with HIMARS multiple launch rocket systems. When a Russian air defense system tried to intercept a HIMARS salvo, it would be targeted by HARM missiles. Visual evidence of the destruction of several Russian air defense installations and radars, including those in the Belograd airport, is probably just skimming of what must have been an even greater number of successful attacks. The depletion of enemy air defense is a necessary step to gaining at least a localized advantage in the air, which could pave the way for deploying the air force or even drones to attack the enemy's artillery and to rupture its defenses on the ground. At present, though, neither side has enough power for the swift and massive disabling of the enemy air defense. This is why the struggle for an air advantage is turning into a war of attrition. So, what will happen next? No compromise seems likely to end the war in the near future. It's impossible. I don't believe it. The Kremlin's idea of such a compromise involves large territorial concessions by Ukraine, and this cannot satisfy either Kiev or, at that point, partners in the West. Ukraine is not inclined towards any kind of compromise. Perhaps Kiev doesn't think too lightly of Russia's, uh, highly of Russia's ability to benefit from mobilization, and that is true if you watch Aristovich's daily reports, which I've stopped because um, when I was last time in Ukraine, there are a lot of people there who think that Aristovich is talking too much. He was useful at the beginning of the war, but right now, I don't know. I don't consider him to be that reliable. Strategic bombardments are unlikely to alter Kiev's basic position. Attacking civilian infrastructure rarely helps demoralize the defenders. Meanwhile, Ukraine's military and technical potentials lie almost in their entirety safely outside the country itself. The Kremlin, on the other hand, cannot negotiate over the annexed regions for the sake of ending the war, since it's promised to stay with those territories forever. So, it follows that the Russian command will try to find new ways of exploiting, exploiting its remaining advantages, like its greater aviation numbers and the greater power and range of its missiles, to achieve, if not victory, then at least a lesser goal of securing some of the occupied territories. And until the Kremlin, more or less probably Kiev and its western partners are confronted with real threat of outright military defeat, the war will continue. So, here I go again, yelling at everyone, for everyone to hear, that, uh, yes, Ukraine needs more weapons. And air defense, and this whole stuff is extremely important. Well, we will continue to cover all the situation on the ground, we are already starting to prepare my next trip to Ukraine in January. And yeah, if, um, well, if any of you want to help out with that, please, again, do consider becoming our patrons. And, well, the patron stuff, it pays for my bills, allows me to work on this full time, pays my rent, pays my living and all this stuff and all the bribes and everything. It's the one-time donations that I put in the, currently, in the fund for money to be spent on the next trip. As if you remember, the last trip cost me about 3,000 euros, 3, euros on my own. So, next one's going to be probably as expensive. I intend to take some of you with me. Yes, there are people who have volunteered. And uh, for you out there who do want to come, well then, well, yeah, let me know. Because I would need some people with um, abilities and contacts and some camera work. Gotta, gotta improve the professionalism of, of all this effort. At any rate, next episode is going to be a long-form one about the whole situation. And uh, as news update, we will, of course, continue to report. До свидания, товарищ. And remember, happiness is mandatory. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.